So when you're looking at invest, what does that mean for you? Look where you can have long-term scale. Like I see other groups, oh, this market's hot, this market's hot, this market's hot. If you're chasing markets, you're not gonna have a long-term longevity in those markets to have true scale. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, wherever you are, whoever you are. Oliver Perry again on another episode of the Oliver Perry Show. This is our late night episode. We've got a, another esteemed guest, another great guest who is a friend of mine. He's a real estate investor. He is a CPA. He is a underwriter. He has worked with Jake and Gino. He's also worked with 100 Thieves. He's done a lot in his time in the space. And now he's learning about wholesaling. You do some wholesaling as well as still investing, investing in the multifamily space. But before that, before we get to talk to him, are you starting your journey into real estate business or entrepreneurship? Are you in need of strategies to help you reach your daily goals? That's right. Then the That's Oliver right. Perry Show is for you. Come and get the experiences and strategies to help you be successful. Woo! And now, your host, you know who it is, sis? Oliver Perry. Oliver Perry. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Mike Tarvella. Mike, how are you, sir? How are you? Welcome to the show. As you can see, the audience is really enjoying you already. Stop it. You're make me blush. How's it going, man? How you feeling? I mean, I'm doing good, man. I uh, I think we were clowning too hard before the this start, but uh, excited to be on, excited to add value to everyone and just you know make it happen with everyone on, on live, listening, wherever you are in the world. Let's take it over. Fantastic. Fantastic. Let's get into it, man. Let's get into it. So the topic of today is real estate versus residential, I'm sorry, commercial real estate versus residential real estate. But before we go deeper into it, I'd like to get a little bit more on your background. Let's talk about where you started and you how you got to where you're at now, because you've got a lot that you've covered. So let's go for it. <laughs> yeah. So growing up, my family were all educators, teachers, and even getting pegged throughout my entire high school, elementary, middle school and high school. Everyone's like, you're going to be a teacher. And I just said, absolutely not, because my mom works way too hard getting two masters, being an English teacher for high school, still working today. And I said, absolutely not, because they do not make enough for how much they work. I love teaching. I love teachers, but it just wasn't for me. And so even in math, I was really good at math. Mm -hmm. And so and I knew from like early on, I wanted to do business. I don't know why. I didn't know how, but I was like, I'm going to be an executive. I'm going to be something. I'm going to be successful. I didn't know what. And so my mom's like, hey, well, you're good at math. Accounting is the language of business. Try it in high school. So I did it. I was really good at it. I was like, all right, let's do this. And so even my math teachers were like, you're a sellout. Why? How could you do that? Like they, they wanted me to get my PhD in math. So uh, I saw I sold out, uh, went to Michigan State University and like my entire five years, because you have to do undergrad and masters. I was like doing the path of like be an accountant, be a partner, work for the big four and do all these things. And because it was the safe route and like my mom's like, get a good job. My family's get a good job. My like, everyone's like, get the good job, stay safe um, and and do well that way. And so my senior year or my last year at Michigan State or last two years, I started a screen printing company. And that's where I like clicked of like, oh, I can turn nothing and make something. And that like it just like the entrepreneurial bug kicked. And I'll never forget my last week before I graduated with my master's. 
I go to my favorite professor and I always shout her out. Professor Wang, Isabel Wang. She was, she's my, she's the only person who helped me get over this. Like I don't fit this accounting mold. She's I go, am I going to succeed in a public accounting? And with a straight face, she said, no, your risk tolerance is unlike any other accountants. Uh, so you're going to struggle with it. So I was like, what is she talking about? Right. And I'm like, and it took me five, like two years in public accounting, two years uh, working for Dan Gilbert to be like, oh, this isn't it. Uh, so I worked for a public, big four public accounting firm. Didn't I learned a lot about like the financial, the nerding out, got my CPA license. Uh, and then worked for Dan Gilbert, who's the owner of Quick Loans, the Cleveland Cavaliers, and 100 Thieves, the esports organization. Ali shouted out. Um, so literally, I was helping 10, 10 to 15 startup tech startups, entrepreneurial ventures, launching these organizations. And I was list- giving them advice how to scale their business. But I wasn't helping, like I was doing single families. And I was like not t- taking my own advice to scale. Right. And so I took a year to pretty much work the 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. shift for a long time. Moved to Chicago to be closer to a mentor of mine and uh, was underwriting for organizations for free, uh, doing anything I can. Uh, My good week after was do one podcast, do one blog, and underwrite one deal while working a job. So I was very not rested (laughs) working that much. And then I got the opportunity with a coach of mine to get me to Rand Partners, which is Jake and Gino's investing arm. And I've been here just over two years invested and have been a part of $27 million in acquisitions. And by next week, it'll be crossing $30 million, So I'll be very excited. So uh, it's a lot. I, and then I simplify the story, but it's just a lot, a lot of not believe, like a lot of pain, a lot of like, oh my God, what am I doing? Because uh, I moved from Chicago, like Michigan to Chicago, and everyone's like, even my best friends were like, "We'll see you back in six months." Like you'll hate it. And then I'm like, "Well, I'm moving from." Even my mom didn't talk to me the last five days. Um, got my first rental property in Michigan. My mom cried, saying, "I'm going to lose all my money." Mm-hmm. We did it because we sold it. So it's just like a lot of people won't believe in your vision, but you got to stick with it and know what you want and just fully commit to it. And that's how you make it happen. Did I, get, uh, did I miss anything? <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, you tell me because that's 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 actually <laughs> right. There's so many people in life, and it's it's wild because when you're starting out in the real estate game and just in entrepreneurship in general, you're the only one who sees the end goal. You're the only one who sees this lofty this lofty dream that nobody else sees. So what happens is you get to the point where you hit that crossroad where you either take the shot, right? You take the shot or you take what we call the L, you learn the lesson and you just go and do something else that you were already planning on doing. Perfect example is when you made the choice, hey, I'm gonna go to Chicago to be closer to a mentor. You had the chance to say no. You had the chance to say yes. They clashed for a bit. You ended up saying yes and you moved on. But that's that's something that we don't get to hear a lot from a lot of entrepreneurs because everybody wants to talk about how they got the Rolex now, how they got the the BMW, the the Bentley, the maybe the BMW might be a great choice, but the 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 roll that this Rolex, what the Bentley, the um, Bugatti, or whatever else it is, whatever Ferrari or whatever Lambo, whatever it is, they got all this stuff, but they don't get to talk about what it takes to get there, that mindset, that thought process, and with that in mind. Let's let's dive into that a little bit. What's the mindset and thought process? Because you were going from a corporate world where you were actually really successful. Let's be honest. Like you're 
you were working with Hundred Thieves, you work with Rand, and now you're gearing your stuff more towards your own endeavors as far as multifamily and single family and really learning the game. Still working on the quote unquote corporate side with Rand on the multifamily side, but you're learning about the single family stuff and you're doing more as wholesaling stuff there. What's that mindset like to go from point A to point B on any of those things? Yeah, like it's all just constant jumps in. So like from not investing in single family to jumping into your first rental house, you're getting told, what if this doesn't work? What if that doesn't work? What is this going to do? Like by the time you answer all those questions, you get to like, what happens if a hurricane in Michigan hits? And we're like, well, that never happens. And they're like, what if? So uh, (laughs) you, you start doing those to take, you just constantly have to just push the needle forward. So um, still with Rand, still going to be with Rand because we're just we're, the product that we have with Rand is unlike any other. We're vertically integrated, have our own property management team. But uh, and what we do on the property management side is unlike I've seen with any other. And so we're just building a base in Knoxville and just having it slowly spread. Right. So we closed 1,200 units in Knoxville, MSA. We're in northern. We're in Lexington, Kentucky. And my goal is to just continue to build this brand to a billion dollars under management. Sounds like a lofty goal, but really when you were told you're going to lose all your money buying your first rental property, your girlfriend at the time is like, you're buying our house, right? And I'm like, well, how about we buy this house and it makes us money? And she's like, no. So I've been told stick to accounting. You stay for it for five years. What are you doing? And you just have to kind of not listen to anyone. And like when you take that step forward into where you're going, those are where you're going to see the real people. And it's, it's like, I, and I don't want to say like I made it because I've done all these transactions. I own a small percentage of it. And that's why I want to rid the, the Instagram fame of units under management. It's like, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. It's what you're doing. You're making impact, helping investors. Like I tell, I tell everyone that my goal, my, my day job is to help my friends become wealthy. Right. Like not many people can say that because we're investing in real estate and not paying taxes. And, um, it just, it's a cool job to have. And, you know, I, like my day to day is talking to people, having them on board and being on podcasts like this to help spread the word of commercial real estate. But it's kind of back to your question of it's every day reinventing yourself and pushing the boundaries. Cause there's days where I don't want to. I don't want to make that one more phone call or do that one more thing. But you have to push yourself every single day because being an accountant to cold call, like to calling brokers every day, you're like, what is going on? And then you just learn every single day, and it's like the best part of real estate. That's that's good advice, man. That's that's really good advice because we don't. Nobody gets to hear that. And even then, like a lot of and you know the the old adage with entrepreneurship is if you're the master of everything, you're the master of nothing. So we all spend our time in like one particular lane: multifamily, uh, wholesaling, uh, single family, flipping, buying, hold, Airbnb, whatever it is. But you never get to cross cross those paths. Now, you as a multifamily investor with Rand, and also you know you're doing your your stuff on the single family side. You've done some wholesaling. Uh, I'm sure you're going to do some. You've done a few flips. I did some Airbnbs. <laughs> Air, Airbnbs, right? You've done all these things. To you, what are the three differences between commercial and residential? What would you say would be like the three key, the three key differences between those two? Yeah. So I don't want to like. It's everyone has a starting point. So I absolutely, you know, everyone talks about Grant Cardone and buy 300 units first. And it's like, well, okay, yeah, you could do that, but. For me, it was start small and grow and scale from there. Like Jake and Gino, who I work with every day, 
they bought it for them. It was a 20 unit and they slowly scaled from there. And I think even Gino had a fourplex. So it's just finding your starting point and scale from there. For me, it was my first house was great. Like I took a week off. Uh, we had it was uh, me and a partner, so it wasn't like all me um, because we had enough for I had enough for the down payment. My business partner had enough for the roof and uh, other repairs. So we merged together and took it on. Right. Um, so whatever you feel comfortable with starting, but just get started and scale from there. I realized by the second house was every time I got a property, I would have that PTSD of like holding the flashlight with your dad because I can't fix anything. My tool is Microsoft Excel. My tool is not a wrench, a saw. I mean, I almost lost a finger cutting a tree branch. Like it's just not in the the deck of cards for me fixing it. So, right. and for me, I just didn't want it to scale. And like working with these startups is, how do I 10x, 100x this business? And it was realizing multifamily. So I don't want to poo-poo single family because we have to get our start. But the single family, the residential, so one to four units, uh, defining residential, one to four units. Uh, it allows you... The difference is you can... St- it's a lower barrier to entry. Right now, it's really hot, but everything in real estate's hot right now. So low barrier to entry, very management intensive because you have to probably manage it to make sense or you're paying someone 10% to literally collect the money that you can do and maybe have a couple contractors. And the third thing is just financing is difficult because you have to qualify versus in commercial real estate, they're they're underwriting the business and the property, not necessarily you. You still have to come in with net worth and liquidity, but they're underwriting two different things when it comes to it. So uh, that I think it's important that when you're doing the single family, it's can you withstand six months of it being vacant or someone not paying? And it's right. like when I'm underwriting a, t- a 20 unit or even more, if 5% of the people aren't paying, we're paying the mortgage plus some and our investors. Like it's okay. Versus single family, you get f- half the units not paying rut row. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's, it's, it's just different. And it's like, they're, I mean, I don't regret doing single family first. And, but it, without, like I was telling our agent who I started with, if you told me five years ago, I'd be in multifamily full time. I'd never believe it. So it's just wild how you start. No, that's that's I I think you're absolutely right, because there's so like you said, we don't want to talk down necessarily about single family or necessarily talk up or even down about multifamily. But the fact is, we all have a different path and a different journey. And it's in my opinion, it's really based on the goal you're after. I've got a goal of 625 doors in the next four years before I retire out of military. I've done a flip before. There is no way on God's green, beautiful earth I'm going to do 625 flips <laughs> in four years. It's I have a heart attack, right? I it, I would be the I would be so great. Like I look out like. I look like I just came out of presidency. That's really what I was going to say. Straight up Obama. You're right at the end. I'd be be straight up gray, silver haired um, animal when it comes to real estate. Sure. I have all kinds of experience, but at what cost, right? What would it cost to do that? And that's, that's when people get into this game of real estate and they work towards real estate and they're looking at whatever it is. For those of you who are watching and listening, Make sure you lay out your goals. Know your end so you know your beginning. Because if you go in, and don't get me wrong, we always say go. I'm always an advocate of just going. There's nothing wrong with that. But I'm telling you now from somebody who did just go, you're going to hit a point you're like, 
I was smacking the middle of the foot with my mentor and Mike, we're looking at it and we find out there's a nail after we've done, like we've done the painting, we've done, we've veneered walls, we've replaced the tub, we've replaced tile. The place looks immaculate. There's a leak in the ceiling, in the roof, because a nail, a single nail was doing this in the middle of a windstorm here in Baltimore. And of course, we got to fix it. But we found out after doing that, now you got to be I fix up the entire roof because of that one nail. That's not going to work for 625 doors in four years. There's no way on God's green earth. So of course, we know we got to get into multifamily. And with that in mind, I know one thing that you specialize in, which is something that I struggle with, and I'm certain quite a few others struggle with, is underwriting. How do people get started with underwriting in commercial? And then how do you recommend they get, well, matter of fact, we'll just do commercial for now. We'll talk about residential side of it after that. So how do people get started in understanding what we're in in, uh, commercial? I wanted to hit on that point too of like what you just said because it's so huge. Like I started in single family because I couldn't, I didn't have the time for flips. I didn't have the time to wholesale to keep this wheel going of deals, 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 deals. I was working 60 to 80 hours a week of just running through working. So like I literally was going, I was, that's, that's a day in the life right now. I probably work more, <laughs> but I have more fun and get to clown, clown with you and all their investors. But uh, for me, it was like, I'd have to get up at 6am to go tour a single family property. And then I knew if I took a week off, I could fix it up and have my business partner carry the torch and run it. And then um, from there it's, we're collecting monthly checks. Um, so I knew it was like a short sprint to get to cash flow and it worked. Um, so like I like I said, I couldn't do the wholesale, it wasn't like available to do calls. So like speaking of the end in mind, I knew I could just I could cash a check every month and have enough time for that. <laughs> so but uh for underwriting, I think it's just important to just open up I mean, there's tons of calculators on there, like Michael Blanc's, Jake and Gino's, like the Rand one. There's so many out there, but they all do the same thing. You're looking at income, you're looking at expenses, and you're getting your net operating income. Uh, so when you're looking at your income, you're looking at where it's been going. So the million trillion dollar question are people paying rents? Yes, people are paying rents in the southeast. Uh, we've had we've been 92 to 96 percent collected since February 2020. Um, so we've been really just we and we know I know this because I check every single day since then of every single day when our rents are. So I know based on our percentage calculated, are we collecting? Is it the fifth of the month? Is it a Friday? Is it a Monday? Like you can just tell these trends of what's going on. But to get started, look at rent rules because the rent rules will tell you how many people are in occupied. But more importantly, it'll tell you how many people are not paid. You can see that in the far right column, there'll be a balance and it's important that you see how many people are paying because the bank cares, yes, how physically occupied it is. But if no one's paying rent, then you are. You're going to have to pay the mortgage and you're going to have to pay all these expenses. And then you're going to have all this administrative work. And then like I've had brokers tell me, oh, hey, uh, we can do this rental assistance program for three months so you qualify for agency. That's great. Now I have three months of this rental assistance program. And we're now once we take over, the property fails. <laughs> So it's a it's a very cat and mouse game, but it's important to make sure the building is filled with residents. And then more importantly, are the residents paying? Because there's so many rental assistance programs out there that their property management group should be helping them. That's why ours have been super helpful because we had during COVID, during the pandemic last year when there's no toilet paper, 
the gift basket, like a, a roll of toilet paper, because we got it commercially. So we have a different supply chain than the stores. And we said, hey, during these crappy times, Rand Property Management is here for you. Right. So that started the conversation to help our residents because there's just so much news last year that it was like a low barrier to entry to communicate. Um, so that being said, long story short, make sure people are paying rent. And then there's other income as well pet fees, moving fees, like in cities like Chicago, if you don't pay four cents of interest on a security deposit, you're getting sued for 4X that security deposit versus why go through that administrative headache versus you can have a moving fee, which is generally cheaper uh, and also a better experience because it's it's cheaper, but also you don't have that weird conversation at the end of the lease where you're going, oh, hey, you owe us more money. So that's the income expenses. Uh, my my favorite thing to do when I look at other people's underwriting is go, how did you calculate your property taxes? Because some people, that's when you'll know you're dealing with a real time investor is because they've called the tax assessor, know when they're getting a reassessed and can quickly tell you when it's getting, what how they calculated it. They might not know the numbers off the top of their head. I'm not saying do that because... Then, then they've been too much in the spreadsheet. Right. But I call the tax assessor. I know the mill rate. It's assessed at this percentage. Like these are the things that what a good answer sounds like. A bad answer is like, oh, they doubled. Well, how do you know they doubled? When do they double? Right. Like, how did you come up with that? And then insurance is going up, like all these things. But just making sure that you know there's uh, expense ratios and like seeing what their expense like the owner's current expenses are and how yours is going to be different and making sure you can explain those differences those are like a really key piece because in when you're getting all this is to be said is you have one number called your net operating income mm-hmm. and that's that's the holy grail of commercial real estate because if you divide that number by your cap rate that's how the property is valued. It's not like single family or residential where a comp across the street sells for 500000 and you have similar bed, bath, and finishes. Now it's worth 500000 It's solely based on how much money that property derives. Right. Which is interesting because you you got so many people who will teach, oh, cap rate, cap rate, cap rate, cap rate. But cap rate is is sometimes a a fickle animal, right? The cap rate will be amazing, but the property is not performing or the cap rate's terrible. The property's killing it. And you're like, what? I mean, we bought a negative cap rate last year because it was half occupied and like the operators were losing money. So like when you're buying those true value add deals, you can't use the cap rate because it doesn't really matter. I'm not saying don't buy off a cap rate, but take a step back, look at the story of the deal of, hey, if we're doubling the value because it's half occupied, they're losing money and rents are $400 when we know we can get them to seven. Like it doesn't matter the cap rate because, I mean, you have to underwrite it still, but those heavy value adds, you can't really necessarily look at a cap rate because you're adding so much value to it. Which one do you feel like is more difficult? Do you feel like multifamily is more commercial slash multifamily is more difficult or do you feel like residential is more difficult to underwrite? Uh, Depends how much money you have. (laughs) (laughs) Fair point. Fair because in all honesty, so like commercial real estate, it's like it's single family. You have to have the down payment. You have to have enough liquid, like the debt to equity or debt to income ratio is important. And you have to have like no bankruptcies and like you have to have a clean financial record. In commercial real estate, you can, you still have to have the net worth and liquidity and the experience to qualify for those loans. So you're going to probably need partners to get started. But when it comes to an earnest money deposit of 1% on a 20 unit property, it'd be $50,000. So 
it's like a chicken. It depends on how much money you have and how much patience. Cause it's, it's taken me two years to start getting traction in this industry. Like, I don't want to proclaim like, Oh, I, I made it. I'm like, I just, I'm just getting started. It takes 10 years to be successful, but I think there's a lower barrier to entry in single family because you could wholesale, you could do all these things versus commercial real estate. Just to get in the game, your one to one percent earnest money deposit could be a five figure check, right, or more. That's, that's absolutely true. No, that's absolutely true because even even then, if you look at accredited investors, what is the minimum fifty k? Minimum is fifty k automatically. So you already know you can't necessarily come in with ten k and be able to make things happen. Now, don't get me wrong. There are deals where people will give you the opportunity. You can do that. But normally the barrier on general, the barrier of interest, the barrier of entry is like 50K. Like 50K is when the the dollars are really made and the bucks are really made. And that's not that's nothing to scoff at because it takes a lot, particularly when you're accredited, because then you've got what is it? A million liquid or not a million liquid, a million. You're worth a million million of net worth. Right. Without your um, residence included. Right. Yeah. It's a million not including your primary residence. And then it's 200K. If you're single, uh, not married, and it's 300k liquid. If you're or income, if you're not married, I'm not a lawyer, but that's not not disclaimer. No lawyers here. We're just you know speaking the generalities that we know. I'm a CPA, but not your CPA, so this is not (laughs) accounting tax advice either. Exactly, exactly. But I think I think you're absolutely right. What I what I've always told people is because I've been asked, you know, what do you like commercial? Do you like residential? And I've told them I like commercial because of the multifamily side of it, but that's because of my goal. But the residential gave me the foundation on what a deal looks like, you know, how to figure out a deal, the cold calling aspect of it. If you cold call or let me not say cold calling, but the marketing aspect of it, because cold calling is just one of the many ways wholesaling and understanding how those numbers work. But I find that, like you said, in commercial, the financial side of it is a little bit more difficult because it has another level, another layer to it, right? You don't just have to have the money. You have to be able to network because you got to raise 4.5 million, 15 million, 16 million, 20 million. You like you're at 27, about to hit 30 million. That wasn't done by yourself. Like it's almost impossible to do it by yourself. Like, let me ask you. It is impossible. Yeah. I don't, you know what? I will always say there's exceptions to every rule, right? Because like you've got people who are out there and they'll do commercial solo. They have a team. Don't get me wrong. They do have a team, but like they're paying them to do it. You know what I mean? Like David Blaine can't do multifamily by himself. (laughs) (laughs) Like it, it takes an entire team. Like you need investors, you need banking relationships, you need property management relationships, you need boots on ground, you need broker relationships. It takes an entire army to get to that closing and something always happens. And that's why like whatever you got to do to get that 50K investment to do in a deal. And I've been talking solely on the active side. Passively, that's where the passive investor lifestyle is the best, right? You inv- you're in real estate, you get the benefits, you get a preferred return, you get the tax benefits, and you don't have to deal with residents, contractors, property management groups. Like I love our team, but our investors aren't hopping on calls or eager to see what's happened. They get a quarterly update. I mean, we send them monthly statements, but quarterly webinar with me and Gino, we get to talk about what's going on, get paid. So I think it's like whatever you have to do to invest passively, uh, but it's just important. You have to get to that point to scale because People aren't going to invest, allow you to invest in grand into a deal because it's, you know, I would, as I'm not a fiduciary, I'm a fiduciary to my investors, 
And I would never take someone's last $50,000 because they want to invest in our deal because it's an investment. And it's right. if someone's going to take your money, no matter what, then they're not looking out for your best interest. That's a fact. And not to mention, if you don't have the money to play, don't play. Like don't, if that 50K is going to keep you from living under a bridge, then I need you to hold on to that 50K. Don't <laughs> relax with the investors. Start with like stocks or something. Let's start small and we'll build our way up. That emergency fund, like start with that and then build your way up with like the indexes and all that other stuff. Because uh, investing is a marathon and like there's ups, there's downs, like there's no guaranteed payments. Like as much as like investors are like, Oh, we're hitting this and we're doing that. It's like stuff happens. Like who could have underwritten COVID to happen? Brother COVID was amazing. That was a, that was a punch. Weird weekend. Everybody. Right. It's a, 100% it was a weird weekend on that one. But uh, so I, what what's really interesting though, like you said before, is the the barrier to entry with re, with residential is a lot lower. So my advice is almost always to people who are like, "Hey, Ali, I want to look at real estate," and I'll tell them, "Listen, you need to start with residential." And that's not again not to say you can't get into development. It's not to say you can't do Airbnbs. It's not to say you can't do uh, multifamily from the jump. But it is to say, "Hey, it's easier to put five k into a deal as private money to help someone out who you." You know who's already doing the investing because you've done the networking, and then they say, "Hey, I'm going to give you 10 back on that money." Yes, it's not a, it's not an astronomical amount. You're not going to be able to go out and buy a fifteen thousand square foot mansion by no means, but it does get you started. It gets you rolling. So, with that said, what have you learned on the residential side that you now look at the commercial side a little bit differently? Is there anything that you kind of learned as you're going along with the residential that is affecting that that uh, that commercial part of it? <laughs> Yeah, it's like the skill piece. I think the biggest thing is like even like if I'm looking at deals, this I won't look at anything less than 20 units because even like 10 units, people are like, why 10 units is... And I'm like, oh, okay, so if one unit's occupied, one unit's not paying, I'm at 80% economic. So for myself, on like some smaller deals, like the very bare minimum I'll look at is like 20 units. I mean, I look at the big stuff, but the bigger stuff has become so competitive uh, that like we're losing to family offices that literally will pay in godly amounts of money. Like I, there was a deal that I was looking at. They paid 10K a door over ask. They paid half a million dollars earnest money hard day one and no dudes. Wow. Well, so it's like, how do I compete with that? So before you continue, Mike, tell, can you break down the family offices piece as you continue that story? Break down that so that those who are listening and watching can actually understand the family office and how that works. Yeah. So a family office is essentially just like a wealthy, a family that has so much money that they can pay people to operate their entire operations. Like they're real, like Dan Gilbert, I worked for Dan Gilbert's family office. So he has like Quicken Loans operating. He has his investments. He has his tax entities. Like he has all this charitable donations and all this stuff. So there's families out there that have so much money that they have teams operating for them. Um, so family offices are pouring money into multifamily because it's been such a resilient asset class. And so their their goal when investing in commercial real estate is to beat inflation. They'll make some money, but in the end, the tax benefits, minimal cash flow, like their objective is to beat inflation. Our investing strategy is to make money for our investors. So that family office needs to make very like five percent, we'll say, on the very high end, and like three to eight percent or three to five percent. We need to make eight percent cash on cash to pay our investors because no one wants to invest in a deal and not make money. And so it's just very different strategies. 
Uh, and just a lot, I mean, we're competing against different countries like that are coming in and looking to buy in the Southeast. So uh, they, the family office dynamic is they're looking for hundred plus units so that they can hire professional managers to operate these properties on a daily basis. And then they collect not as much cash flow, but they get the depreciation. They get all these things that will be beneficial knowing that if inflation is coming, which everyone's been talking about, well, if inflation goes up, rents go up, property values go up. So it's that's that's what they're trying to do is by hedging their bets by buying properties versus we're trying to add a ton of value to pay our investors. So that threshold looks entirely different. Interesting. Okay. So keep keep going on the story. You were talking about how you guys don't like you won't invest in anything under 20 units and you were explaining that mm-hmm. thought process behind that. Uh keep going down that path, man, if you could please. Yeah. Yeah, so it's a scale piece. Uh, so in Knoxville, we're looking at smaller stuff. Uh, but if you have like this two small units, then it, it doesn't. It's not as it has that economies of scale of being able to hire a property manager and working on site. Uh, then you can't have enough. Even the scale of you know, as we look to grow and build more businesses, we want to make sure we can afford really good talent and A players to manage our properties. So we're looking for properties that are big enough to scale in the Southeast uh, that they can manage every day because the more properties you have, the cheaper to labor and things get. I mean, we've rolled out uh, Jake. Uh, I, I credit hundred percent of this to him, uh, Jake Cinziano. He had the vision of having a flooring team. So instead of paying three to four bucks a square foot to buy flooring, we're paying $2 plus payroll uh, it's pouring rain over here. So they go, oh God, I'm getting flooded in, but <laughs> <laughs> don't feel bad. I guess I'm working late tonight. Thundering. Yeah. It's thundering here yeah. in Baltimore. And I, I still got, you know, we still got stuff to do this evening, but man, that, that <laughs> rain will get you looking. You'll look out of the corner of your eye really quick. So I understand. Well, thank God I live. I, uh, I live four doors down from my office, so I'll just get my hair wet and I'll be okay. <laughs> but, uh, but because we have so much scale in Knoxville, we have a mini construction crew. We're getting our GC license so we can save even more money. Uh, Jake's rolled out a flooring company so that we can save even more money because paint, flooring, and are the two biggest heavy hitters when it comes to turns. So we're literally cutting our costs in half, investing in a product of LVP flooring so that it can last for 20 years. Uh, so those are these longer term visions that we have on the property management side. And the reason we can do that is because Jake. Uh, and Gino Barbaro have invested 1,100 units in Knoxville, and we're continuing to expand so we can have this dream team continue to grow and scale. So when you're looking at invest, what does that mean for you? Look where you can have long-term scale. Like I see other groups, oh, this market's hot, this market's hot, this market's hot. If you're chasing markets, you're not going to have a long-term longevity in those markets to have true scale. Right. Interesting. So, so with all that's all that said, what is the, what is your thoughts on the JV deals? Because that's, that's something, particularly when you're talking like 20 and lower normally you'll see, and I know it's not the realm you necessarily play in, but I know because of your underwriting background, you know, when it's a wise idea to go a JV versus a syndication, how do you yeah. know that? And when you're looking at those numbers and then what dictates whether that's the route you go personally or not? Yeah. So, I mean, we've done a lot of smaller deals internally. And the thing with a syndication that I think people need to be aware of is there has to be a sell or refinance in three to five for it to be worth it for everyone. Versus a JV deal is like a group of partners 
that have enough scale or that have the same vision want to do this. You know, we can refi, we can sell. Uh, and you generally, the G, the JVs, you have a little more equity in them. Because if you do a syndication, you might own, we'll say 20% of 30%. So it's like, well, I own a very small percentage of this deal versus on a JV deal, I could have 20% of it and just have a group of buddies do it. So there's legal ramifications for each one. So I don't want to like skirt around those, but um, it's important that everyone in the JV has an active role. And it's important that in the syndication, because if you don't have an active role in the JV and it's big enough, it could be deemed a security. And I'm, I'm disclaiming, get a securities attorney on your team. Uh, we have Kim Taylor, but there's a lot of good ones out there. Because the last thing you want to do is start your career by going on Facebook, going, hey, everyone, who wants to invest in my deal? And then <laughs> you broke the law day one. And I see that all the time. And it's absolutely terrifying that everyone's or people call themselves capital raisers because in reality, there's a very specific specialization and license to be a deemed a capital raiser. So I, I tell all my investors to be weary of the laws. And I, and I do this not to scare people, but it's just it could be very serious that if you go, you know, day one, wrong turn, lose money for investors, deemed a capital raiser, it could be it could not end well for you. So it's very important to have attorneys and there's a ton of good ones out there and a ton of good resources and podcasts that can help you navigate these waters. But get with a syndicate, syndication attorney. First 30 minutes are free. So they're and that they're the true heroes. So please use them and utilize them. Absolutely. Matter of fact, I I, I remember I remember remember very distinctly on my LinkedIn and it, it had Capital Razor. And my brother Mike Tarvella immediately texted me. It was like a half an hour after I had I had put it up there, I think. Mike was like, hey, you gotta take that down. You can't do that. So I don't want anybody to feel bad if you didn't know. It's okay. This part of the game. It's part of us understanding. That's why we're here. To help you. Exactly. Exactly. So to be able for the fact that you're here and be able to hear it and listen and hear Mike, somebody with experience, talk about it. And if, and you know, of course, me with the, the other side of the experience would I learned the lesson. Like that's not something you want to do. You want to make sure you take that time. And if you can't get, if you can't afford an hour, listen, here's my recommendation. You can't afford an hour with SEC attorney. You take one question to one attorney, take another one to another one. I'm not a legal, <laughs> I'm not a legal entity, but I'm telling you, if you got to figure out the information, you got to figure out the information because it's very, very important to keep yourself from being locked up with the SEC and having to deal with all that because that's not a game you would like to play or lose for that matter. Um, so, Mike, we, you you mentioned a little bit ago about Jake and Gino, and we talked about your experience with 100 Thieves and the Dan Gilbert. Dan Gilbert's Dan Gilbert's family office. You've got a lot of experiences and I want to get three keys from each one of those, but I'd like to start with Jake and Gino as that's like, they are, you know how it goes. Like they're, they're one of the bigger names in multifamily. It just is what it is. Yeah. But I'd love to know what you've learned from them. At least three things, three items that you've learned from Jake and Gino as you've been in working with them in the Rand company. Yeah. So number one, uh, it's probably from earlier in my career, but number one, Commit and don't give a shit. I'm doing this. I'm executing it. And we'll figure out a way. So just commit and go all in. Uh, number two is having the team behind you because a lot of investors are like, I believe this is a good deal, but they don't have the team behind them. And then it doesn't work out. So we have our internal property management team. We have Jake has been doing this since 2013 and Gino has been doing it for a long time. Uh and, and they believe in me and instill a lot of trust in me to work with our investors, to underwrite deals, to call brokers. 
Um, so that's another thing. And number three is just always add value. I think it's when it comes to investors, you you have to go above and beyond for that white glove service. And that's our goal for the education side, the property management side, and the investing side of we want to go above and beyond for our residents, our investors, and our people so that they they have a world-class service. And there's that niche in uh, workforce housing that they don't get the white glove service and cared for. But I see our property managers day in and day out no residents names pets names birthdays like it, it blows my mind of how much they care for the residents and so uh it's it comes with a price but it's it's doing those unique things every single day that allows you to go above and beyond and so like with my investors people are like man you know i can't we talked once i'm like yeah because this is just ingrained in me that you're entrusting me with money of course i'm going to know your name we're going to talk we're going to build a rapport and I, and I care about our investors. And that's why like during the pandemic, I called every single one, and let them know like, Hey, your, your money's safe. We're good. And then I would have office hours, 2 to 4 PM. I'm just sitting on a Zoom and an investor would pop on and we'd talk. So uh, just that high end customer service piece so that we could be a world-class firm is like the three biggest things. Mm, that's um wow. Th- those are, those are things that I think we all should take into account, particularly when we're talking about real estate. Like you said, like knowing, first of all, to know somebody's pet's name, I'm not going to lie. That's impressive. That's just impressive. No oh, pet's names. It happens all the time. Yeah. It happens all the time. And they're like, they had the dog treats locked and loaded, like the welcome baskets is like designed for that. It's like, it is insane how like they just know everything all the time. But that's impressive. And I will akin it to, I've met a quite a few generals in my time in the U S military. And in that time frame, there has been maybe two out of 10 that I'd go into a room and they'd say, hey, I remember you. You're you're Perry. You lived here. You're hard to forget. Well, I mean, I am lovable and very charming, but that's not the point. Like, that's not that's not at all what we're talking about. <laughs> what we're talking about is their ability to just remember these things. Like they would remember the most minute stuff. Hey, when I met you, you had this deployment patch on. And I'm like, dude, like what? First of all, why are you looking at hard at my shoulder? But whatever, you know, secondly, it's just impressive that you would remember that. Like they'll pick out particular keys and, and key in on them. Now with the mind and thought process, as we talk about keys, what were the key things that you learned when you were working with the family office? Let's go into that one. What are the three key learn- things you learned there? Build, build a machine. So for me, it was startups are a chaotic environment of like survive in advance every day. But if you can organize a system and dial it in, the game is over. Because then you never have to worry about, well, is this getting done? Is that getting done? Is this getting done? What about this? What about this? But you can just drown yourself in questions. And then you're like, oh, it's five o'clock. Now I can get that one thing I need to get done today. Um, and working with media production company to 100 Thieves to uh, several other tech companies, it's build the system so then it never has to be done again and a and it can be done efficiently because like for example like i would get bills flooding my inbox which would then be like well i don't know what's serious or not because i have 400 <laughs> bills i have to pay but then like that one if i'd set, set up one system all of those emails go away so but in a startup world it's super hard to figure that out and once you build a system once, you can tinker with that. And I like that's a Ray Dalio principle. Um, but it just was like fun to build those principles from a media production company trying to tell me, no, everything's so different and creative. And 
But really, we're doing the same thing over and over and over again. It's just how much money is behind it, which means how many people, grips, etc. Um, so it's just it's fun to kind of build the system for the machine, and that's what I like prided myself on doing is building those machines and systems to help those businesses grow. Interesting. So it's funny that you bring up systems because systems is a a very difficult, it's a simple but difficult thing. That for whatever reason, we all seem to struggle with when it comes to real estate. Quite a few real estate investors struggle with it. But systems can like make or break your, your quality time with family, your free time to sit down and meditate or to journal or whatever it is your routine is. Having systems is crucial. What are the different systems that you, what systems do you use in commercial? And then let's talk about as well, what systems you use now in the residential side of it? Uh, so I use Asana for absolutely everything. So we have our social media calendar on there for Rancieri. So our VAs are, you know, we're recording a podcast. Our analysts will review the and chop it up into clips. One VA chops it up. The other VA gets a nice presented well. And then our third VA like posts it. So like that's a whole system in itself. And so we can see each step of the way. There's a lot of communication. We're good. Deal flow, same thing with Asana. Anal- like I'll put, get the deal, put it in Asana, analyst reviews it, or underwrites it first, I review the underwriting, then we go to committee with Jake and Gino and myself, and we submit an offer. We either won or we lost, or we follow up, and we just keep going from there. So there's just a ton of systems of just like Asana. Like, and I, and I've, I mean, I always laugh because like I always get this argument from Jake and Gino of using pen and paper, but. And it works, right? Like they've grown a successful business, but uh, I just, I just like to have everything documented and quickly to see. And I love Asana because one, it's free. You're gonna have 15 team members per like individual team, so we we don't pay for it. People use Monday.com. You can pay for it there, but I just love Asana because literally I can pull up my phone, add notes, photos, etc. Or for example, we took over an 85 unit property. Most of our team has not been to the property, but in like Google Photos, they can see each of all the photo albums. They can see all every single unit because they take a picture of the door, unit, unit, like take all the pictures in the unit. And then I have it all uploaded in a Google Photo album. So even though our team is not there, they see every single unit and can mentally grasp what's going on, what to prepare for and how to renovate. And even on broker calls or broker visits when I'm touring it, I take pictures of all the units. I drive by and record it because Jake and Dino obviously would love to be on site, but they're busy too. So then when we're underwriting and reviewing and going to committee, we're looking at it all together, Google map, photo album, and just really having a full course attack on it so that we know everything about as much as we can about the property before going into it. That's, that's good stuff. That's good stuff. Cause you dropped quite a few, quite a bit of information, particularly Asano is, and I've worked with it before. It is a phenomenal platform, particularly for it to be free. And I'm not, I'm not getting paid by Asano by any means. I don't have any. I'm waiting to get paid by Asano. Yeah. They (laughs) need to call me. Listen, y'all want to get on Asano. Asano, please let me know. I'm here. We'd love to be sponsored. The podcast would love your sponsorship opportunity. We we enjoy it. We'd love to be a part of what you're doing. But for now, for those who are watching and listening, a free option is probably the greatest option, particularly, particularly when you're working to figure out your own workflow and how your workflow works for you. Because there's a bunch of options, but I definitely say give that a shot first and see how it works. It's free. What's what's going to hurt, right? So, Mike, you've you've gone over all this stuff, and but we haven't even touched your wholesaling. Let's 
and we got to close out here soon because the timing is running nigh, but you're wholesaling now. What's the difference that you... I'm trying. I'm definitely trying. I'm not doing well at it. I'm just getting started. Listen, we all have to start somewhere and wholesaling is not an easy beast to handle. First of all, before we get into it though, I want people to understand Wholesaling is just a tool. It's another it's another technique. It's like if you consider, you know, plastering a wall versus veneering a wall. That's what it is. It's just a different version of getting the job done. So when you guys see these wholesalers out there, let's not act as if they're only wholesalers. They're real estate investors. They're only doing a particular tactic, sure, but they're still investing in real estate some form or fashion in there regardless. And some may agree or disagree. That's up to you. But let's give positive, positive energy to everybody. Let's talk about the wholesaling as a technique, not necessarily an end-all be-all. So as a technique, what have you learned so far with your wholesaling experience? Because I know you're getting into it. You're learning about it. It's a beast of a thing to do because I've done it. And I've, shoot, I've still got a, a, a wholesaling business I'm running now, but it's not an easy thing to do. How has that experience been for you so far? Yeah, for me, it's been just trying to get more comfortable on the phones because the salesman, like I see like Josh Rusin's on the Jake and Gino and he's as sales ninja. Mm-hmm. And so just like seeing him operate in the sales techniques is just, for me, it's being more comfortable on the phone. Like I'm a very personable person, but when it comes to the salesmanship side, I'm not super salesy. And for me, it just like <laughs> skis me out. And it's just like, I'm, I'm like, super, like, like Ollie will clown for three hours on this podcast, Joe Rogan style, like no worries. And I have no doubt about it, but it's just, right. for me, it's like, it's like you said, it's a tool in the tool belt. You never know how it can go. Um, and for me, it's just trying to figure out a different avenue. Uh, I think we had on our ascend calls, like Matt, not even be able to pronounce his last name, but I mean, he, I think it's acquired, I, uh, I thought it was an O. But he did like 500 million or several hundred millions of real estate in three years or two years. And you're just like, wow. So for me, it's just like learning a different path, learning a different skill set. And most, and, and most importantly for me, it's how do I do And my buddy Will always jokes and goes, how does Mike learn how to do something once and then teach someone so he never has to do it again? So if I can build this wholesaling machine without having to do it, like not necessarily do anything, but how do I build this machine so that it's producing money, helping investors, helping real estate in general, so that I can help other people make money. And so like a very powerful piece. I love it. I love it. Yeah, I think the wholesaling thing for you, it, it's a, it sounds like a daunting task now, but as that, uh, as that skill picks up, I promise you. And I'm not a cold caller. Let me let me put that out there right now. I'm not the cold caller on my multifamily. I'm not my multifamily, but my uh, wholesaling team. I've got a partner, Jamisia Ed. Shout out to Jamisia. She is an animal when it comes to cold calling. That is her favorite thing to do. That is not my thing. I'm a nerd. I need data. I need video. <laughs> I need stuff I can actually see and write down. I'm sorry. It's just how I am. I don't, I don't know what to say. You're, I'm a nerd. Oh, Little Ollie, little nerd. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I if that's, if that's the you're, if that's the box you're trying to put yourself in, I don't believe you. I'm throwing that box away. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. I am an extroverted nerd. How about that? I'm definitely an extroverted nerd. But I, I, I just like that stuff. Like the data, the analysis. That's my favorite thing. Getting on the phones is cool, but man, oh man. Those of you who are cold callers, you have my respect and my honor. It is not an easy thing to do. Shout out to the brokers out there because shout out to the brokers because that's what they do every single day is talking to owners and figuring it out and navigating it. And I mean, they do a great job. And without them, we wouldn't we wouldn't be here talking about doing real estate full time. 
That's a fact. That's a fact. Brokers are a big part of what we do, particularly in multifamily and even in single family, because you know the broker, you you are in a good way. Um, so let's um let's we're gonna start moving towards the closeout. And we're gonna don't worry. Oh man, man if you're, that's your bedtime. Listen, it is. I've got things to do. You know, you got things to do. There's underwriting has to be done. I've got deals to analyze on the single family side of the house. This is how it works. You just gotta hustle. So <laughs> we're gonna talk about our last two questions are almost always the same. Not almost always, they're always the same. First thing is a troop to task. And what the troop to task is, Mike, is you give the listener and viewer a task that they can do to start their path to where you're at now. One piece of advice, one thing they need to do right now at this moment to get that that going. Floor is yours. Add, add value to someone else who's doing it, but don't ask them what to do for them. I'm sure Ali, you get hit up. I get hit up. What can I do to add value to you by not asking me that question, doing something? When I got started, I was underwriting for free. I was writing blogs for free, just giving away as much as I could. And that got me in. So like, if you notice that, hey, you could be doing X, Y, Z, and like, I can help you with that, just do it and help them. They might not, they might not say yes right away, but don't do like one at bat and be like, I try to add value. If you constantly show up, add value, writing a blog, doing a cool video, walking a property, secret shop, whatever it may be, add value without asking and you'll, and Karma will pay you hundred X. So add value for free, but don't ask them how to add value. Just do it. That is an excellent piece of advice. I've said that before on this podcast. I actually got my first wholesale deal from working for free from my mentor, one of my mentors, Luke Neubauer out in Louisville, Kentucky. Shout out to Luke. And that was how I did it. I worked for free for like five or six months, just looking at deal after deal after deal after deal, name after name after name after name, and sending them to Luke and letting him do the mailing process. Working for free will teach you more than you anticipate. You're going to work for free, sure, but the stuff that- It'll pay you more too. It will. 100% it will. It will because it pays in relationships, right? You will never lose that that relationship with whoever you work free for. It will always be there. So when you get bigger in whatever the industry is and you come back, that person will still be there because you aren't just working there for, for free. You're actually a friend. You are somebody they know who will put in the work and do the work. So that's great advice. I say all that to say that. So next, Mike, let's, we're going to get to the next question. The next question is a little bit more difficult. It's a little bit trickier. What question do you wish you were asked more often? And what's the answer to that question? Say it one more time. What's the one question I've been, I wish I got asked more of? Absolutely. This is definitely a stall tactic. This is definitely a stall tactic. So just say it again. I'm I'm (laughs) I'm right with stall tactics. What is the question you were, wish you were asked more often? And what's the answer to that question? Mm-hmm. It's a doozy. It's, it's definitely a doozy. I think it's just how, how to start. And it's just by doing it, right? Because everyone tries to overcomplicate it of, well, Mike, how did you know moving to Chicago would get you to closer? And I go, guess what? I did it. I, I had no no clue and no idea. And then I get a call from Jake and Gino and they're like, come on down to Knoxville. And I'm like, I know nothing about Knoxville. And I just did it. So my entire, like my, I feel like my entire career has been just like doing random things to <laughs> and like just doing it. And I know it'll give me the experience of where I want to go. But but I knew I had the vision of like doing great things. So just wherever whatever you want to do, just do it. Gut instinct, go because you can always go back to your friends. Like I haven't been to Michigan since Christmas, so it's like I'm gonna see them. It's gonna be fun. Is it gonna be different? Yeah, but you're still gonna have your friends. Are you gonna talk to them as much? No, but it's because you're following your dream. So it's just commit and don't give a shit and do the damn thing. I love it. I love it, ladies and gentlemen. 
Thank you so much for tuning in, Mike. I want to make sure people can get in touch with you. People can reach out to you, connect with you. What are the platforms that are best for you with that? I'm leaving it to you. Uh, at value add Mike presented here. <laughs> and then I'm uh, Mike, <laughs> Mike Taravella at, uh, is like Facebook, LinkedIn, whatever. Uh, my email is Mike at Mike Taravella.com. T-A-R-A-V-E-L-L-A.com. And uh, I know Ali will have that in the show notes because 0% of people will spell that correctly the first time. So or at value add Mike and I'll be there. That's absolutely very, very, very true. As a matter of fact, if you're on Facebook and you're looking for Mike, you need to put type in Mike Tarvella Jr. Last name T A R A V E L L A Jr. If you if you don't put in worst case, you add my dad, and it worst case you add my dad, and he's like he'll talk to you May fifteenth on his birthday. <laughs> That's a fact, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Oliver Perry. This is the Oliver Perry Show. You can catch me on IG at the Oliver Perry. Or you can hop here on the YouTube, subscribe, comment, like, hate if you like. I welcome it all. I love you, haters. Hate, 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 hate. (laughs) I'm glad you're listening. I'm glad you guys have been a part for those who are watching and listening. You are much appreciated. Thank you so much. Blessings. We love you. We will see you next time. Mike, hang out for a little bit. We got like 20 seconds. We're going to do this outro. Ladies and gentlemen, have a great evening. Oh, I'm lying. I need to do my sign out. Huh? Remember, you're better than you were, but you're not half as good as you're going to be. Again, we love you. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to The Oliver Perry Show. Be sure to leave us a rating and review on your favorite podcast listening platform. And as always, be sure to follow Oliver at The Oliver Perry on Instagram, Oliver Perry on LinkedIn, and The Oliver Perry Show on YouTube. Until next time, take care.